Welcome to City Church, Life on Life podcast, where this week we are looking at a life of repentance. Sin has become a dirty word outside the church, but also it's misunderstood within the church. In his classic book, Dynamics of the Spiritual Life, Richard Lovelace argues that we've lost sight of what the Bible means when it talks about sin. Lovelace writes, During the 19th century, the church's consciousness of sin began to erode as gradually sin began to be defined in a way which seemed more rationally defensible, that sins are conscious, voluntary acts of transgression against known laws. Lovelace continues, The depth awareness of sin discovered by the old masters was exchanged by most Christians for a concept of sin which was virtually heretical. He's saying that thinking of sin as consciously breaking behavioral norms is a relatively recent and superficial way of thinking. And he continues, one of the consequences of this remarkable shift is that in the 20th century, pastors have often been reduced to the status of legalistic moralist, while the deeper aspects of the cure of souls are relegated to psychotherapy. He's saying churches have become moral gatekeepers, deciding who's in and who's out. But listen to how Lovelace continues. But the structure of sin and the human personality is something far more complicated than the isolated acts and thoughts of deliberate disobedience, commonly designated by the word sin. In its biblical definition, sin cannot be limited to isolated instances or patterns of wrongdoing. It is something much more akin to the psychological term complex, an organizational network of compulsive attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors deeply rooted in our alienation from God. Now that's a mouthful, but Lovelace is saying sin is not bad choices we make here or there, so much as a complex of attitudes and beliefs. In the Bible, sin is compared to a power that affects us so deeply, we don't just make bad choices, we live by lies. As we turn from the truth about God to embrace uh, lies about God and His creation, our minds and hearts have been darkened. Jesus says that sin enslaves us and blinds us, and that the nature of sin is to deceive us. So listen to how Lovelace concludes. Sinful thoughts, words, and deeds flow from our darkened hearts compulsively as water from a polluted fountain. And he's not just talking about before we were Christians. He's talking about the human condition. Now, you may have grown up hearing that we were sinners or that you and I have a sin problem, but Loveless is going back to the biblical authors to convince us our problem is deeper than we realize. In fact, intrinsic to sin's powers, we don't see its power. And people who are out of touch with reality, we have a name for that. We call them insane, and that's actually how sin affects us. It makes us crazy. It makes us out of step with reality, out of step with life as God intends it to be lived. Well, uh, why all this talk about sin? Well, we said one way to think about the Christian life is having your imagination taken captive and reshaped by a new story, the Jesus story. It's having the spirit of your mind renewed and transformed. 
And in the Bible, there is a word that captures what it means to have the spirit of your mind transformed, the eyes of your heart renewed. It was one of the first words Jesus uses in his uh, first sermon, Mark 1.15, and one of the last words he told his disciples to proclaim in Luke 24. The prophets used it, the apostles used it, and when Martin Luther started his, the Reformation by nailing his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Castle, he put this first, quote, Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. See, that's the word. It's come to mean something very narrow and negative, something religious-sounding. But this word needs to be rehabilitated. Repentance is our feeble translation of the Greek word metanoia. Meta meaning beyond or after. And noia from the Greek word nous meaning mind or knowledge. Etymologically, it means beyond thought or afterthought to capture the sense of a transformative change of heart, a change in the way one sees, the, see, sees things so that you begin to move in a new direction. For Jesus, this word is not about refraining from certain bad actions, nor simply feeling bad or remorseful over what you've done, which is what it's often been reduced to, a negative, limiting word. But to be an apprentice of Jesus, repentance must become a sweet, life-giving word, a sweet, life-giving invitation. Um, and it won't be that until you see the bigger picture. And that's why we started talking about sin and our need to redefine sin. Uh, to, to give the expansive uh, biblical sense of the word repentance. So that, that sin is not just a conscious bad choice. Sin is running from God to try and get control of our lives. Like Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, we run from God in our guilt and shame, hiding and covering ourselves. That sin is this powerful orientation of the self curved in on itself trying to cover itself. To quote the title of a book by Neil Planiga, sin is not the way it's supposed to be. It's against the grain of the universe. Sin dehumanizes us. It mars the image of God in us. Sin deceives us, falsely promising to make us more free, more happy, more human, when in fact it's making us less free and more miserable. That is the necessary background to understand this huge word, metanoia. And you see the principle of sin is a much bigger problem and power than we've ever realized, then repentance is a much more comprehensive word in process than we've ever before grasped. It's not an episodic stop doing that, nor is it only what someone does at the beginning of following Jesus. It is a life orientation of learning to go with the grain of reality, with the flow of God's will, aligning our will with our Creator's intention. So repentance is not a heavy burden imposed on us. Repentance is an invitation to become more human, to be more free, to have the image of God gradually restored in us. It does feel like hard work, but it leads to rest for our souls. That's my goal. I want you to see repentance as an invitation to live into the way that God sees things, which means an invitation to live into the way things really are. You could say that repentance is Jesus' invitation to stop running 
and rather to turn back and learn to live in the Father's embrace. Have you ever been hugged when you didn't want to be hugged? Or, or maybe you're one of those people who just doesn't like being touched. Well, that's an image of most of us with God. We find it hard to sit still and, and bear His embrace and His merciful gaze because we're just like Adam and Eve. We are hell-bent on running away. We can't bear to be seen. We cling to our fig leaves, our projects to cover ourselves and de defend ourselves. Well, repentance, you could say, is seeing who we truly are before God and yet bearing His embrace. We stop resisting His grace and we learn to rest. Like a, like a little hurting child, we learn to rest in the lap of love. And the more we do that, the more we experience metanoia. In the Bible, repentance is a gift, see Acts 5.31. But it's a gift we can keep on receiving for our entire lives as we gradually come to discover who we truly are in Christ. Repentance is a lifelong process of our continuing conversion, our ongoing regeneration as we live into our new name. Okay, the more we do it, the more we want to do it. We say, yes, this is me, and I'm God's, and His ways are the ways that lead to life. All of this, uh, all these wonderful promises are contained in Jesus' call to repent. Now, there are many passages we could turn to, but one that gets to the heart of repentance is Ephesians 4, verse 22. Paul says, You were taught to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Well, there it is, the whole process of repentance in three verses. And all three must be held together. Put off and then put on with that bridge in the middle, be renewed. And notice the text says, not in your minds, but in the spirit of your minds. That's your imagination. Your whole orientation towards reality, that's what's being renewed as you put off the old self and put on the new self. So you could say repentance has two parts. Putting off what's sometimes called mortification and putting on what is sometimes called vivification. And each of these uh, parts has two elements. So let's look at putting off. Putting off involves seeing clearly and cutting deeply. You can't repent truly unless you see clearly and cut deeply, neither of which comes naturally to us. Both are gifts of God's grace, but neither feel like gifts. Seeing clearly before you can put off the old self, you have to see the old self. And biblically speaking, this is uh, both an initial shattering, you know, aha, now I see, as well as an ongoing, aha, now I see even more. For the former, a biblical image of repentance is the younger son in Jesus' most famous parable who, quote, came to himself. It's Luke 15, 17 that having blown up his life at the end of his rope, yearning to eat the pig food, Jesus says he came to himself. It's when all the denials and blame shifting ends, the clouds part and you finally see where your best thinking has led you. And these patterns you've been clinging to that maybe allowed you to survive growing up, 
that old self, your ingrained way of doing things, of, of trusting in your own strength and relying on your own wisdom. It's, it's where you see clearly where that's led you. It's where you say something's got to change. I can see where my own way and my own best thinking has gotten me, and I'd rather die than continue this way. Seeing clearly means seeing that you are your own worst enemy. Maybe you saw the movie in the, on the, the bridge of the River Kwai, where a group of POWs have built a magnificent bridge in the jungle for the enemy. When the chief architect sees his fellow soldier preparing to blow up the bridge, which he knows needs to happen, yet he takes such pride in his work that he actually fights and kills his fellow soldier. And do you remember what the character says? He says, what have I done? And this look of horror on his face, how could I have been so blind? That's what repentance feels like. And if you think that could never be you, consider King David, the man after God's own heart, that even David was blind to what he had done, slept with another man's wife and had the man killed. He knew in one sense what he'd done. He knew, but he didn't know until his friend Nathan came to him and told him a story to get past his defenses and then said, you are the man. Now, it took David, the poet, it took him a year to see clearly and to be able to write down for the world what he had done, what we call Psalm 51. But the trauma of seeing clearly is not only for uh, people like David who's blown his life up. Putting off your old self means finally seeing clearly all the ways that you too have been trying to run from God, to construct your own righteousness, to cover yourself. You finally see that you too have been living by lies. Look at the end of verse 22 where Paul says your old self is corrupt or being corrupted, quote, through deceitful desires. Boy, it's easy to read over that line, corrupted through deceitful desires, that we desire the wrong things. Why? Because we lie to ourselves. The world lies to us, the devil lies to us, and we lie to ourselves about who God is and what makes for a good and beautiful life. We think, if only I had that, then I'd be happy and secure. If only um, we could add to what we have or get back what we lost. But one day, by God's grace, we see that these desires are deceitful. These, these old ways of trying to find meaning and security apart from God, they cannot deliver. It may not look like the prodigal son's moment of clarity. It may look more like coming to see how almost everything you do is your ego's futile attempt to cover yourself by constructing your own righteousness. That's one mark of seeing clearly as you start to recognize how your motives have almost always been polluted by sin, even in your best actions. That's when you start to want to put off your old self, when God's grace opens your eyes to see how foolish and misdirected your energies and your ambitions have often been. You see how much of your life has been selfish and self-focused, and you don't want to live that way anymore. And this is the second part of putting off, cutting deeply. Jesus compares dealing with our sin to gouging out an eye or cutting off our hand. It's Matthew 5, 29. Paul compares it to putting to death, Romans 8, 13. And both are telling us this is not a surface wound to be treated lightly. I've had uh, skin cancer a few times in my life and undergone a treatment called Mohs surgery. 
They anesthetize the area, then they cut out the cancer like peeling a potato. They, they, move, they remove layer after layer until they've cut deeply enough to get all the cancer out. If they don't cut deeply enough, the cancer will just come back even worse. Well, here's one reason people think they've repented, but they've never really changed. Were they generally sorry? Yes. Did they make resolutions to do better and try harder? Yes. Did they mean it? Probably. So what's the problem? Well, maybe you too grew up in a church that talked a lot about repentance, but defined repentance in a very narrow, behavioral, moralistic way. Is stop doing that bad thing. And you thought you knew what your problem was, and you thought you dealt with it. You thought you dealt with that behavior, pornography or drugs or alcohol or overwork, but you, ne you never got underneath. You never got to those deceitful desires. And if you never see clearly how deep the cancer goes, you'll never cut deeply enough to get it out. Repentance over time does result in a changed life, but it's not just about behavioral modification. Nor is repentance simply about feeling bad or expressing remorse or, uh, because most of the time what we feel bad about are, are simply the consequences of our sin, what it cost us or made us look. And, and the Bible calls this worldly sorrow where we beat ourselves up and discourage ourselves and try to convince others and ourselves or even God, trying to convince them that maybe we're miserable enough to deserve forgiveness. Does this sound familiar that we try to atone for our past sins by feeling terrible about ourselves? But that's not true repentance. Confession, feeling sorry, being discouraged. Judas felt all of those things, and so did the Pharisees. But so much of their repentance was about trying to manipulate God. It was just a self-righteous disappointment in themselves. So they might have changed their behavior, but there was no deep change. And my point is that putting off is not just about seeing clearly. It involves the hard, patient work of cutting deeply. And for both of these steps, we need the help of others. A counselor, a pastor, a wise friend. When you see clearly, you want to cut deeply. You say, get this out, it's killing me. Misery can get our attention, but only love gets us home. And the second half of repentance is putting on the new self. Ephesians 4.24 says the new self is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness. Amazing statement that putting on the new self begins when you realize why the gospel is good news for you. That it's not just a rescue operation, it's a restoration operation. It's God in Christ taking it upon himself to restore the image of God in each one of his children, whoever's willing. And this restoration begins when you see that you're not loved by God because you repented, as if your repentance could earn his love. You're loved by God because God loved you before you ever thought about repenting. That God saw you at your worst while you were yet dead in your sins, Ephesians 2.1, dead in your sins, a corpse, and corpses aren't pretty, but God came near to you in his kindness. He moved towards you, and seeing clearly, he, he came toward us, and, and that's one of our core fears. If you really saw me, how could you still love me? 
But God in his kindness, he came near while, while, while we too still reeked of the pig pen before we even thought about getting cleaned up and coming home. God loved us. Boy, and when that switch flips, we stop seeing our sin as breaking rules of a stern God and we start seeing it as breaking the heart of the one who loves us best. We start seeing that every sin is a sin against grace and this is what changes us. See, hammering ourselves in disappointment will not change us. You don't mend metal by hammering away on it. I'm mixing metaphors here, but it has to be melted. The metal has to be melted in the furnace of God's white-hot love. And that's what the Bible is talking about when it says it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. That repentance is this turning back to God, but you won't want to turn back toward Him in your sin. You're too ashamed. You're too afraid. You won't, you won't turn back unless you're assured of His unfailing love for you before you ever thought about turning back and changing. That's why one of the most remarkable lines in the Bible about repentance is David at the beginning of Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Isn't that amazing? He calls on the steadfast love of God for him. Even after he'd made the worst mistakes of his life, he turns back to God because he knows God's true character as the one who sees him clearly but still moves toward him. And that's what changes us. We say, how can I offend the heart of someone who loves me like this? The first part of putting on the new self is experiencing the love of God before you ever thought about putting on the new self. That's the only thing that makes you want to put on the new self. You see that the desires that motivated you before, these weren't setting you free. They weren't making you who your father wants you to be. So you want to turn back towards him because you see that all of his ways are good, that he wants what's best for his children. See, when you start to see God differently, not as a disappointed, frowning judge, but as a loving, merciful father, well, then you start to see yourself differently. You say, yes, I want to be this child of that kind of God. That's my true self. That's what the text means when it says, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness. That holiness becomes something we desire. That God declared you holy in Christ so that you might have the security to become holy, to live into the man or woman God made you to be and redeemed you to become. You know what that is? That's your new self. And that's what I meant when I said earlier that repentance is learning to live in reality. It's learning to bear God's embrace. It's learning to let God love you. In light of his kindness, you desire to become the child for whom such a way of life fits. You put on your new self because God loves you. And he asks you to put it on because it fits you. Repentance, which at first felt like a painful obligation, becomes an invitation to return and rest in God's love, which is exactly how the Bible describes it in Isaiah 30, verse 15. In repentance and rest is your salvation. See, in calling us to repent, Jesus is inviting us to become more wholehearted, more human. And you see that whole process in these three verses. Verse 22, putting off through seeing clearly and cutting deeply. And as you do this, verse 23, the spirit of your mind is being renewed. Seeing the steadfast love of God for you makes you want to put on the new self, verse 24, through resting in God's kindness so that you can now pursue God's calling.
It's a lifelong process. You begin to hate your sin, but you no longer feel condemned by it because you're no longer afraid of it being exposed. You know what that is? That is gospel repentance. It turns you into someone who is humble, not defensive, slow to anger, not anxious, and not, <clears throat> uh, excuse me, and more sensitive to others in their pain. You say, well, that doesn't sound much like me. Well, exactly. That's why we need a life of repentance. When you see the ugly weeds of deceitful desires pop up, you undercut them with the gospel so they pop up less and less. And gradually, almost imperceptibly, you become, you become a little more humble, a little less self-concerned, a little more brave, a little more kind. Doesn't that sound like a good way to go through life? Well, that's why Jesus calls us, his apprentices, to pursue a life posture of metanoia. See you next week.